Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, Wells Fargo's big week and what it means going forward. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello and welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. I'm Steve Grosser. Paul's on vacation, but I'm joined here in the studio with Eric Holm, Aaron Lucchetti, and David Riley. And uh, Aaron and Dave's presence can mean only one thing, given this what the big story this week was. We're going to be talking a little Wells Fargo. Well, I uh, thought you were going to talk about how the Mets were going to clinch the wild card. That is no. absolutely false. Yeah. <laughs> I, actually, I would rather talk about how the Red Sox and Cubs are going to be in the World Series, Aaron. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. No, uh, Wells Fargo, like John Stumpf went to Washington this week. There was a lot of attention brought to it. Um, I think a lot of people looked at, you know, how is he going to perform? How did he perform? Well, I think you have to open that to the San Francisco Giants fan in the room, Eric. Well, I, I mean, I thought it was interesting is that he went in there with a completely different um, tone and, and approach than the, than the bank had taken previously. Um I think some people had had run down John Stumpf, the CEO, and and a few other um, people who were speaking on behalf of the bank, who who had initially tried to blame um, the problems that that had recently been uncovered and publicized on lower level employees, and and that was not what happened this time. And and we should pull back just for a second and maybe explain what what um, what the issues were at the bank, right? Maybe Aaron, you can fill us in on that. Yeah, so Wells Fargo um, has been one of the most successful uh, banks, commercial or otherwise, coming out of the financial crisis. But it had one issue that sort of percolated up in the last three or four years. There was a, a lawsuit in the city of Los Angeles that brought up a lot of issues in their retail branches um, and their cross-selling, which interestingly is one of the things they do very well. It's one of the reasons they've been a, a very successful bank. They Once they get you as a customer, they gain your trust and they work with you over time and they convince you to buy more and more products. You have a savings account and a checking account. Well, how about a mortgage? How about a, a wealth management product if you're uh, looking to invest? So they've been very successful at this, but... Uh, the Los Angeles City Attorney lawsuit in 2015 uh, brought up a sort of a, a another angle of this, which was a little bit less positive, which they um, basically accused Wells Fargo of forcing products on people uh, that didn't know they were buying them. Sometimes, not always, this resulted in fees being paid by the customer. Many times it was just something done to meet sales goals. But that really flew in the face of this image of a folksy, uh, trustworthy very, um, you know, on your side bank. And so that's where all this came from. Um, the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, brought a case pretty much following up on these accusations by the L.A. City Attorney um, and fined Wells Fargo $185 million, along with the OCC, another banking re- regulator, and the L.A. City Attorney, which was sort of the the group that brought it in the first place. And that led to these uh, Senate hearings in which John Stump was brought to Washington for Probably one of the more high-profile banking uh, discussions on the Hill since the financial crisis. And, and one of the more intense. I mean, it was a pretty rough morning for, for him. Be- before you jump in, yeah. let me just add one thing there to what Aaron was saying, because I think this is important context, is that well, two points, really. One, what the whole settlement referred to, the, the you know allegedly illegal sales practices, this wasn't an isolated incident. What the settlement said was that this stretch from 2011 to 2015. 
It's a very long period of time. And this wasn't one office. This was nationwide. This was involving millions of accounts. Um, and one thing also we should point out, the L.A. City Attorney brought that suit but that suit was based off, and the reason they started looking into it was uh, an excellent article that the Los Angeles Times did in 2013. So it goes back that far. The second thing was when the settlement was announced earlier this month, the number involved the fine, $185 million, you know, in the grand scheme of things, wasn't that big. Not for our bank of uh, Not Wells for a bank of Wells yeah. Fargo yeah. size. Its market value is, what, $240 billion. And, and, and just by bank fines. I mean, you had J.P. Morgan, you know, $20 billion, billion, billion. You know, yeah. So it's, you know, in terms of bank fines, it's quite small. But the number that grabbed everyone's attention, and this came out in the CFPB complaint, was that over that five-year period, Wells Fargo had fired 5,300 employees for either unethical or improper conduct. And that just, that really set the stage for this hearing of, you know, how do you fire 5,000 people and then say you don't have a cultural or an institutional problem? And so the the, the story, when it broke uh, in early September, um, this number came out. And the bank and everyone else sort of went back and forth on this number. The bank initially said, well, this is a very small percentage of our employees. Um, we have 100,000 in this unit and 270,000 employees. So, you know, 1,000 per year over five years is not that big of a, of a problem. In fact, our culture is sound. We just had a few bad apples. We'll do better. The, the, a lot of the senators said that's that's not how we see it. If you have 5,000 people sort of systemically going back and doing these cross-selling abuses, you've got a bigger cultural problem. And more people than 5,300 tellers and branch managers and, and, and branch managers' bosses, it, you need to look higher than that. It's not just something that's that's happening at the lower levels of the organization. And that was one of the questions that they were pushing on is how how high was the highest person who got uh, fired or punished for this, and the the answer I heard was, well, at first was that it didn't go very high. Then there was the focus on one employee who's very high up. Uh, uh, Carrie Tolstad, is that her name, Aaron? Right, she's right, on her but, way out at the bank. But, sorry, but I think what what uh, John Stump, the CEO, said during his testimony was that I think the highest was an area president. And a bank like this has all these different levels, and sort of, if you think of it like a pyramid, it reports into the the heads of the business lines, um, and that's where you're about to go. The, the the head of the retail banking business, Carrie Tolstead, came up, but of course, what was a big point of contention at the hearing is that she wasn't fired. Right. She and by the way, she's, she's still at the bank. And there's a and there's a ton of distance between the right. area president and Carrie Tolstead. I mean, the area president. There's lots of those guys and girls. And ladies and men, but they—they—that's the branch manager's boss. Like when you go into your Wells Fargo branch and you ask to see the branch manager's son, that person's boss is the basically the most senior, more or less person that that was let go for this. Carrie Tolstead is one of the more senior people at the bank. In fact, John Stumpf had her job before he became CEO. So uh, she is leaving the bank. It was a very interesting discussion between Senator Warren um, and John Stumpf about the circumstances for for her departure. It first and some new information came out in that exchange, right? Which the bank indeed. had not discussed or, or disclosed previously, because when she when the the bank announced her retirement, I believe John Stumpf had some pretty laudatory things to say about her at the time. Oh, his praise Very was positive. effusive, right? Yeah. Right, and and Senator but that was not the case this week on Tuesday. No, and Senator Warren really hit the question like, didn't you consider firing her? And he said no. I think right there is a good place to pause and uh, take a break. We'll be right back. 
Robert Half research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. WSJ Podcasts now available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and the Google Play Music app. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello and welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. Um, for more podcasts like Your Money Matters, Free For All, Speak Easy, Heard on the Street, What's News, Tech News Briefing, and WSJ Opinion, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcast. And become a subscriber at iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look at us on Google Play Music app at, uh, on Android devices. Um, coming back, we all knew that Elizabeth Warren was going to be hard on John Stump. I mean, I think she you know, was quoted as say, you know, saying the leadership was gutless. Um, but how were the Republicans? Um, you know, how did they treat John Stump? I think they're surprisingly harsh. I think most people expected you would have the Democrats were going to be really hard on him. And then you'd have a mixture of the Republicans. Some would be hard. Some would give him softballs. But he'd have a few friends up there. And I got to say, watching the hearing, I think John Stumpf sat at that table and looked up at the, the committee dais and saw no friends, saw no way out, nobody giving him options. And a lot of these senators have heard from their constituents. I mean, unlike some of the Wall Street uh, issues and regulatory problems of the last five years, this cross-selling issue uh, hits everyday bank consumers on Main Street and has people looking at their accounts and talking to people about, hey, what did you did you see anything in your account? And it, it's a real, real issue across the uh, kitchen table. Now, you guys have been following this for a while, but I, I, my – uh, real education about this matter came at the hearing on Tuesday as I, as I was watching it. And there were a few avenues that they opened up in terms of their lines of questioning that I thought were really interesting and, and did not and, – and maybe raised some things that at least I hadn't thought about in terms of the implications of this. One of them was about – the the ongoing impact of these open accounts or the accounts that were open at least for a little while and and one of the things that was raised was about the whether there was any impact on on the credit scores of the the people who had these accounts unwittingly opened in their names yeah that was a that was a really interesting line of questioning from i believe senator tester and others um, who raised the question of whether the financial problem or harm that could have been caused by this is ongoing so for instance if wells fargo or any bank opened up an account uh, a credit card account in your name um, that you didn't ask for and then quickly closed it, um, that from a fee perspective might be immaterial. It might not have cost you a dime um, in terms of fees or um, charges. But however, your credit score, which most people don't have a great handle on because it's kind of behind the scenes, but a very important score in determining your interest rate on a mortgage or an auto loan or any kind of consumer loan, that can be affected by someone opening and closing accounts. Um, and if you didn't have any say in it, 
the credit bureaus aren't usually wired to know whether you authorize that account. I mean, most of the time it is authorized. So if, if it's not, you have an issue and you need to kind of rectify that. So what happens, for instance, if in 2011 or 2012, a few years ago, Wells Fargo opened up a credit card account, then closed it, let's say that affects your credit score by 10 or 20 points, it's hard to know that that happened. And then it's also hard to know if that had an impact on the mortgage you got in 2014. But if it did, it could be real money, much, much more than the 10 or $20 in fees that Wells Fargo charge some people. And and I know some lawyers are going to try to figure out the answer to that question. I mean, uh, sure they will, but I mean, I do think in that as Aaron is saying it's going to be and this is a tough thing taking from the other side for the bank too because, you know, John Stump of the hearing was saying we're going to make this right, we're going to try and make this right, but sort of like how? As Aaron is saying, you, you can't just draw a clear line and say this happened and led you Definitely, this was what caused whatever your rate was, you know, a little bit higher. It's really tough to say that. So the bank in going back and trying to say, well, we'll fix it, is going to face its own problems. Then it'll also, like you say, you know, it's going to have lawyers and other people on the other side trying to get them. So it's a real mess. And that's part of the reason that well stock is down, for instance. I mean, the, the, the legal tail on this could go on a while. And so the stock is down. I'm just looking at the, this research report about six percentage points behind the bank index since this news came out September 8th. And this is for a, a company that had been a darling of stock investors, uh, including Warren Buffett, who is a huge shareholder for, for decades. Does the consumer angle make this dramatically different than, you know, you look a few years ago, J.P. Morgan, London Whale, Jamie Dimon got called up. Does the consumer angle where people can understand it, senators can understand this much more easily than a trading loss, make this a very different story, a story that might actually hang around longer? Oh, I think it was huge, and I think that's why this Senate hearing was – there was so much more rancor than anything we've seen since the financial crisis. If you go back – and one of our colleagues did this. He went back and he looked at – I think it was the live blog we had done on WSJ.com in 2009 with the hearing where you had – the six CEOs of the major banks. And he said, this hearing this week, there was more ire, more anger, more outrage than there was back in 2009 at the height of the financial crisis. I think the reason is exactly why you say. The financial crisis was all these different things. Tough to understand. J.P. Morgan and the London Whale, there was talk of credit fault swap indexes, asymmetric accounting, your average person, you know, we, we'd have trouble explaining some of that here, and we cover this day in, day out. But this, this was easy. It's that somebody went and opened a credit card from you, and you didn't ask for it. That changes the game, and it's just that makes people's blood boil. Yeah, and, and many senators uh, who ask questions of Jamie Dimon uh, didn't really even care about the London Whale. In fact, their customers didn't care about the London Whale either because it didn't cost the customers anything, and it didn't even really hurt shareholders all that much. It definitely was a big event, um, but the company still made money that quarter. So it was a bad event for J.P. Morgan. It got people worried about, oh, my goodness, could banks lose billions again and bring the global economy to its knees? Um, it was more systemic, theoretical concern there. Uh, here, it's it's hitting people right on the pocketbook. And it was hitting people in every constituency 
of those Senate panel members, and it will be hitting people in very constituency of the House Financial Services yeah. Committee hearing this, well, this next week. That's why I think it was, it was Senator Tester who said, you know, you, to John Stump, you've done something that I've never seen happen. You bring both aisles of, the, <laughs> of this committee together. Yeah, which is quite an achievement. Yeah, by the way, one thing that, that's in, in, in John Stump's defense, he was amazingly calm through this whole thing. He may not have answered any, every question to the senator's satisfaction. In, in fact, quite a few were not to the senator's satisfaction. But he, he did not lose his temper or his composure one time in, in about two hours of, of intense grilling. Um, and he uh, created one of the photo ops uh, of, of the year probably where the banker um, under the uh, spotlights and this tough Senate questioning had a an injured hand. So when he raised his right hand to uh, testify and say he was going to tell the truth, it was a bandaged right hand, which mm-hmm. some people uh, um, on the Internet definitely noticed. And how did he hurt his hand? Playing well, with his grandchildren, the great, right? the great Emily Glazer, among the many scoops yep. she's uh, broken for the Wall Street Journal in this story, was that that came uh, via a hand injury with his grandkids. They were playing, and, and I guess it, I'm not sure beyond that there's what what the details are, but but just some some good old fashioned play with the grandkids led yeah. to led to an injury. Um, I guess to, to just wrap it up, where do we go from here? Where is this? Do you think this story is going to go? Well, I think the most immediate thing, the next step is uh, next Thursday. John Stump gets to go back to Washington, do it all over again before the House Financial Services Committee. Uh, that's going to dredge up a lot of the same issues. Uh, we There's a lot of unknowns out there. Um, you know, there's, The question was brought up about will the board at Wells Fargo look to claw back John Stump's pay, anyone else's pay, Carrie Tolstead's pay? Uh, will the board take any other actions? We'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, we've also reported, again, something else that Emily broke last week was that uh, the U.S. attorney's offices in several districts are looking at what happened to Wells Fargo. No indication of will that go anywhere, would it be civil or criminal, but that's hanging over the banks. Um, what Eric was saying, you know, there's probably going to be quite a few lawsuits that come out of this. So this is, and I think as Aaron said, you know, this can be a long tail event. This is going to stretch on. It's going to be a cloud that hovers over the bank for some time to come. What about Stump? Uh, you know, is he's he's getting close to retirement as is, but is he? Do you think he's safe for now? I think it's too early to too say. Early to... Uh, they are unique in in having a 65 year old retirement age. Um, Many CEOs retire around that age voluntarily, but but at Wells it is it is hardwired in, and his predecessor retired around that that age, and um, Stump replaced him, and he's sixty three now, so he's got about two years before that. I guess we'll leave it there. Thank you for joining us. This has been Steve Grosser with Aaron Lucchetti, David Riley, and Eric Holm. Thanks a lot. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.